Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 4. Title of my message tonight is I'm Struggling. I'm Struggling. That's a good start, right? I'm struggling. Anybody relate to that? The struggle is real. <laughs> but what is the struggle? Where is the struggle? Who is the struggle? These are the things we've got to find out, right? Sometimes we just keep struggling because we don't even know who the enemy is. We don't know what we're fighting. We don't know what we're struggling with. You know, and when you're struggling and you don't know what you're struggling with, you just know you're struggling, that's a bad place to be. But the Bible tells us that we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge, and so I think it's important that we ask some questions. Sometimes we don't want to ask questions because we don't want the answers, right? Sometimes we don't want to ask the questions because we already know the answer. Um, But I believe that when we start asking questions, we can get to the bottom of something, get to the root of something, get to what the real issue is, and uh, be able to fight, be able to respond, be able to attack back, amen, Uh, so that we can overcome. You know that God wants you to be an overcomer, right? You know that. I mean, if we don't know that, then we've got to start all over. But God didn't bring you into this earth to die, didn't bring you in this earth to lose, didn't bring you in this earth to be defeated. He wants you overcoming. He wants you victorious. He wants you on top. You are the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're a child of God. You're a prince, a princess, a queen, a king. You are royalty. Amen? Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're royalty. You're sitting next to greatness right now. You didn't even know it. You're sitting next to greatness. Amen? So I just want to charge you to start there. You're awesome. You're awesome. Amen. God created you to be awesome. That's maybe not the New King James Version, but you're awesome. So we got to find out how to overcome, how to win. I want to show you two different struggles. And uh, believe it or not, Jesus struggled. Jesus struggled, but he overcame. I'll just take you to the end of the book. He wins, and so do you. But we want to to look at how do we respond to the struggle, and how do we respond to, uh, uh, you know, when we, we have attacks or when challenges in our life comes up. Adversity may show up. So the first one I want to show you is here in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and this is, Uh, an account of Jesus up to this point. He's 30 years old, just went to his cousin, six months older than him, and uh, said, bro, you got to baptize me. And uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, said, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy enough to stoop down and untie your shoes or tie your shoes. And so Jesus says, no, it's got to happen to fulfill the word, to fulfill prophecy. And he comes up out of the water. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's not a bird. 
He's the third person of the Holy Spirit, but descended upon him like a dove. And the first place the Spirit drives him is in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Everyone say tempted. To be tempted by the devil. Anybody ever been tempted by the devil? Temptation knocks on our door daily, doesn't it? Temptation comes on a regular basis. Temptation is not the challenge itself, but it's, it's the draw into it. And so it's how you respond to temptation that determines how you overcome, what your outcome will be, what, what the, the, the end result, what the conclusion will be is not tied up in whether or not you're tempted. God did not uh, promise a life free of temptation. But he did promise a life of overcoming temptation. So see, sometimes we get this wrong. Sometimes we get this idea that becoming a believer and doing the will of God and doing the purpose of God will free me from adversity or free me from challenges. But on the contrary, you'll find that it actually brings you into. I mean, there's things that you will be tempted by after you become a believer that you were never tempted to do before you were a believer. And so Jesus, after he's filled with the Spirit, after he's been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, to fulfill prophecy, after he has answered the call, so to speak, I mean, up until this point, he's been living, he's been existing, he's been working with his father, uh, his natural father, uh, uh, as a carpenter. He's been doing his thing. Not a whole lot there, you know, from, uh, we know at age 12, uh, he gets lost. His parents forget about him. That's horrible. I, where's Jesus? I lost him. That's the son of God. I, I lost the son of God. That's horrible. But that's really about all that we have up until this point. Now he shows up. And he's answering the call. He's taking that step. And by answering the call, now he's led to a wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. That's an understatement. (laughs) 40 days and 40 nights. And, you know, he could use a bite. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, this is the tempter. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Why? Because, I mean, when you're hungry, (laughs) bread sounds pretty good. And I'm sure it was the good stuff from Texas Roadhouse with that cinnamon butter on it. That's what I picture, at least. You put that in front, if you could turn stones into that, you would make a lot of money. So he's tempting him with something that is obviously desirable. He's in a state of vulnerability. He's in a state where that's desirable. That would be something that he would be tempted to do. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, of course, he is the son of God. So, you know, in essence, he has the power to respond to, uh, 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 you know, the, the tempter's demands. But he answered and said, It is written. This is the word of God speaking the word of God. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil, the tempter, took him up into a holy city 
set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, listen to how he's questioning and challenging who he is. If, oh, so if you are this mighty man of God, if you are a believer, if you are, see, answering the call, the devil doesn't back down from that. He challenges that. The second you step out and you say, oh, okay, God, I'm gonna do your will. The devil says, yeah, we'll see about that. That's, 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 that's what he's looking for. He's looking for believers that don't know who they are. And you can be convinced of who you are as much as you want. We don't know until the challenge arises what you really believe, what you really know, where you really, how, what, what's your level of confidence? Well, the challenge reveals confidence. The challenge reveals what's in there, Okay? And so the devil took him up to a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And why didn't the devil ever bother to tempt Jesus before this point? Now empowered by the Holy Spirit, now filled with an assignment, now having intentionally answered the call on his life, that's when the devil shows up. That's when the devil brings this, the, the, these challenges. And so verse eight, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Notice that the devil did exactly what Jesus told him to do. The devil had no choice but to do exactly what the word of God in flesh said to do. Jesus didn't have to do anything the devil said, but the devil had to do exactly what Jesus said. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The first struggle that we see here is a struggle with the devil or with the tempter or with the enemy himself. And we've all experienced this struggle, uh, maybe not on the same level as uh, Jesus has in this account where he's physically made his presence known, but we've all experienced temptation. We've all experienced uh, adversity and challenges from the enemy where the enemy wants to obstruct or deter you from the plan of God for your life. And the devil will do this in ways just like he did with Jesus. Number one, questioning your identity. Number two, questioning your authority. And then number three, trying to uh, encourage you to sin or disobey God himself. Ultimately, Jesus is responding the way Adam should have responded. Jesus in this passage is making up for what Adam messed up. 
This challenge was necessary. This adversity was necessary. This uh, 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 opportunity of temptation to sin against God was necessary because Jesus, remember this, Adam lost our authority through disobedience. So Jesus had to get it back through the same channel Adam lost it. Okay? I want you to understand something. And as we see in this passage, the devil was no match for Jesus. And I want you to understand something tonight. The devil was no match for Jesus, not because he was Jesus. Not because he was the son of God. Not because he was the Messiah. Not because uh, uh, he was the, the promised king. Jesus overcame the devil. Jesus overcame uh, the tempter because he remained submitted to the Father's will and did not yield to the temptation. Jesus overcame because he remained submitted to the Father's will and he did not yield to the temptation. Temptation comes to all of us. I want you to understand here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus didn't do anything that you can't. So many times we categorize Jesus in this box where he's untouchable and we can't do. Jesus came to be our example. Jesus came to be our example. Jesus came to show you this is how it should be done. I'll tell you right now, if Adam would have responded the same way Jesus had responded, we'd all, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. Adam had the same opportunity. Eve had the same opportunity that Jesus did. Yield to the Father's will. Do not yield to the temptation of the enemy. What was the temptation in Genesis chapter 3? Eat the fruit of the tree, which is the very commandment that God said not to do, right? So I'll tell you right now, Adam and Eve didn't need God to come down and fight their battle for them. Adam, in fact, God didn't even warn Adam and Eve that there was a snake or a tempter in the garden. Not one time in Genesis 1, 2, or 3 do we see any conversation with God between God and Adam or God and Eve saying, now I want you guys to be careful. There's a creature down there that hates me, that doesn't want anything to do with me and wants to take your authority. And he's gonna try to tempt you to disobey me. He doesn't even warn them. Why? Because if Adam and Eve simply obey the word of God, guess what? The devil can't touch them. And it's the same for you today. The enemy is not, not your enemy. He's not your enemy. The only thing he can do is tempt. And if you don't yield to the temptation, if you remain in obedience, if you honor God's word and you yield to his word, guess what? He cannot touch you. Everybody say, I'm struggling. And we thought it was the devil this whole time. And that word devil, the word devil literally uh, is translated adversary. That's literally what that means. 
It means someone that comes up to challenge or someone that comes to uh, uh, oppose or disrupt. That's what the devil means. And that's what he wants to do in your life. But he can only challenge you. He can only tempt you. He cannot force you to disobey God. He cannot force you. There was not one thing that the devil brought to Jesus that he could make Jesus do. He could tempt him with turning stones into bread. He could tempt him with throwing himself off of a cliff. He could tempt him to bow down and worship him. But if Jesus doesn't respond in like manner, if Jesus doesn't respond obeying or yielding to the temptation, the devil can't do anything. And then the very moment Jesus says, you know what, I'm tired of this, get away from me, he has to go. So if we're struggling, then what's the struggle? Because I know temptation is, is, is a struggle. I mean, Jesus, there's a struggle here. Jesus wins. I'm not saying that it's not a struggle. I'm not saying that, that there is no uh, opportunity, uh, there's no challenging, that it's just easy. But I'm helping you understand just the simple, the, the simple uh, principle that the devil can't make you do anything. He can simply bring the temptation. It's up to us how we respond. It's up to us how we yield. It's still a struggle. Struggle to put down temptation. Struggle to, to walk away from things that we know are, are, are uh, disobedience to our God. To walk, walk away from patterns and habits and addictions or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, the devil is not the problem. But I want to show you another struggle that Jesus has. It's found in Matthew chapter 26. So this was at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, Matthew chapter 4. He answers the call and right in response to answering the call is temptation. Right in response to answering the call is a challenge. Oh, you think you're going to fulfill God's will for your life? Oh, you think you're going to do what God wants you to do? But Jesus exercises his authority. Jesus stands in his identity and the devil cannot touch him. But now in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus on the back end of his ministry. So this is three and a half years later after what we just read. About 36, 40 months have now gone by. And we've seen Jesus exercise authority over everything, right? Jesus has exercised authority over the devil, we just read. He exercises authority over demons, right? He exercises authority over waters, walking on water, over storms, telling storms to stop, over fig trees, telling them to wither and die. He's exercised authority over sickness and disease. He's exercised authority even over death itself by raising Lazarus from the dead four days after he was already dead. Nothing could stop Jesus. Nothing could, could keep him from his purpose. Nothing could stand in Jesus' way. And I'm telling you, it's the same for you. You have the same authority Jesus has because he gave it to you. You have the same identity Jesus has because you're seated at the right hand of the Father. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. These are principles you gotta understand. I don't have time to get into all that tonight, but you gotta know your identity. You gotta know your authority. You gotta know your place in Christ. The devil whips believers day in and day out that don't know who they are or don't know what they have. 
period. If you lived in America and didn't know who you were or didn't know what you have uh, as a privilege and as a right and as a benefit of living in this country, then you'll get talked out of stuff that is rightfully yours. And it happens to believers every day in the kingdom of God because they don't understand they're in the kingdom. They thought they became a part of a denomination or they thought they joined a church or they thought one day I'm gonna die and go to heaven and I just have to wither away down here. It's misconceptions that the enemy defeats you in ignorance. Wherever there's ignorance, there's defeat. I cannot win in an area that I don't know. So I've got to grow in my knowledge. Romans chapter 12 tells me I have to renew my mind. But the devil's not the problem. He's a tempter. He'll challenge you. He's the adversary, but he can't stop you. But in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is confronted by someone that can stop him. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus meets his match. Jesus meets someone that has the power to halt him, to stop him, to pull him off the plan of God. And you'd be surprised at who this magnificent enemy is. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then Then he said to them, my soul, My soul, this is Jesus speaking. If you've got one of those special Bibles, these words are in red. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. This is Jesus speaking. You know, Jesus became exceedingly sorrowful. Yeah. Yeah, what about that verse that says, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations. Uh, What about Paul that said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Jesus, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Notice he doesn't say, I am sorrowful. He says, my soul is sorrowful. We'll break this down. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So right here, our first indication, the first thing that we see of Jesus's struggle, of Jesus's uh, 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 challenge in the garden, there's no devil here. He's already proven his authority over the devil three and a half years ago. He's already lived a ministry, uh, lived a, a life for the last three and a half years that exhibited authority, that revealed who he was, 
that revealed, even when people didn't believe it, he knew who he was. He knew his identity and he knew his authority. The devil could not touch him. The devil was no match. But now Jesus, for the first time we see, is struggling with a different enemy, is struggling with a different challenger, and this time finds out that the challenger is right inside of him. It's him. Yeah. Even Jesus had to fight against his flesh. Even Jesus had to make the decision Do I do what I want to do or do I do what the Father wants me to do? Now, I know that we would like to think that Jesus just automatically obeyed his Father because that's who he was. He was God. He was God in the flesh. He's 100% to do. He's 100% God. And so obviously he's gonna do what the Father wants him to do. But now we see an aspect of Jesus You can't make the statement, not my will, but your will, if you don't have two opposing his. So obviously, we know at this point, his soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He is in distress right here, guys. Jesus is at a crossroads. Jesus is at a crossroads. Do I do what? I want to do? Do I give in to the temptation of myself or do I stay in line with what the Father wants to do? Do I continue on with the plan of God or do I follow my plan, my agenda, my idea? Not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And now we see where the battle is. He's just revealed to us where this war is taking place. This war, this battle, this struggle is the flesh and the spirit. This is the battle you will never be free from for the rest of your life. It is the internal struggle and it's the eternal struggle. You will never be free from this battle, from this war ever in your life. You will always have to fight this battle between the flesh the desires of the flesh and the spirit on the inside of you because that's who you really are is the spirit inside of you. You are a spirit being. You possess a soul, which he's already identified. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He's got all three components all wrapped up. Spirit, soul, and body or flesh. All three components he's listed here. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My flesh doesn't want to do what the Father wants, but my spirit wants to do what the Father wants. And they're at war. 
and my soul is right down the middle and my soul will yield, watch this, to whichever one is stronger. My soul is sorrowful. I'm not sorrowful, but my soul is sorrowful. Why? Because the soul realm is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's where your emotions are. So notice Jesus had emotions. He's exceedingly sorrowful. There's nothing wrong with having emotions. But notice here that Jesus does not allow himself to be led by his emotions. You'll have emotions. Emotions are from God. And when they are uh, uh, tolerated in a healthy manner, when, they're, when they are executed and exhibited in a healthy manner, then it can affect your life in a positive way. But most people don't allow their emotions to follow their desires. They allow their emotions to lead their desires. And when your emotions become more powerful than your decisions, it's a dangerous place to be. Jesus does not allow his emotions to take over to the point of controlling him. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, but I've got to keep my emotions in check because there's a war going on. My spirit is waging war with my flesh and my flesh wants to do one thing. My flesh wants to bow out. My flesh wants to stop this thing. My flesh doesn't want to endure what's about to come up, but my spirit wants to continue on. My spirit wants to remain purposeful. My spirit knows the call of God on my life. My spirit wants to answer that call and fulfill it to the purpose and plan of God. My spirit wants to draw on and continue to do what God's called me to do for the, for the sake of mankind, for the sake of humanity. I've got to follow what my father says, not my will, but your will. So I've got to keep my emotions in check. I'm sorrowful because I know what I'm about to endure, but I can't allow my sorrowfulness and my, my uh, 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 distress that I'm in to lead my decisions. But how many times do we see emotions leading people? They make decisions emotionally. We're answering to our emotions rather than answering to God. And so Jesus is at war, not with the devil. The devil's not here tempting him. The devil's not here trying to uh, 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 persuade him to give up and to quit. Remember those little cartoons growing up where you had the devil on one shoulder, you had an angel on the other, right? No, it's not a devil and an angel. But there is a spirit and a flesh. And that's the battle you have to win. How do I win? Whichever one I feed the most is the strongest. Whichever one I feed the most. Look, if you feed your emotions, because your emotions will get hungry. Your emotions will look for people to feed them. I'm sorrowful. I need other sorrowful people around me. I'm angry. I need other angry people around me. I'm happy. I'm only happy when I'm around other happy people. Your emotions are not designed to be the leader. 
Your emotions are not designed to be fed. Your emotions are designed to follow something. And hopefully they're following the Spirit. The Spirit. So Jesus identifies. There's a Spirit and there's flesh. He says this, the Spirit indeed is willing. But it's not enough to have a willing Spirit. You have to have a strong Spirit. Because you don't yield to what's willing, you yield to what's strongest. What I mean by that is, the Bible tells us that the flesh and the spirit are always at war with one another. The Bible tells us in Romans, I believe in chapter 8, tells us that the flesh is, will always be contrary to what the spirit wants. The flesh never says, you know what, God, that sounds like a good idea. You know what, responding in love when that person just absolutely sold me out, that, that, you know what, that, you're right, that's what I need to do. No, your flesh says, knock them in the nose. <laughs> Ran about it on Facebook. Call everybody you know. Walk out, leave, abandon. Quit, drop out. Yeah. And your flesh can get loud if you feed it. Well, Jesus spent three and a half years feeding his flesh, or feeding his spirit, not feeding his flesh, feeding his spirit. I mean, throughout the book of John, we have at least three occurrences in John chapter five, six, and seven, where he says, I didn't come on my own initiative. I'm here because my father told me to. I was sent. That means it's his mission that's more important than my mission. It's his plan that's more important than my plan. He spent time communing with the father. I mean, one of the best ways to walk out the will of God for your life is to get the will of God for your life. But what happens is a lot of times the will of God is the goal when the will of God is really the byproduct. You should not be walking through life saying, God, I want to know your will. God, I want to know your plan. No, you should walk through life saying, God, I want to know you. And as a result of knowing you, I'll know your will. Understanding someone's will is a byproduct of relationship, not the other way around. I know my wife's will because I know her, not because I just know what she likes and dislikes and what she wants and what she doesn't want and what she wants me to do and what she doesn't want me to do. No, I know those things because I pursued a relationship with her. So, It's not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. And Jesus spent his life. What was the, uh, uh, what was the, uh, what was the reason Jesus had such a powerful ministry? It's because he had such a powerful relationship. You know what he was doing before he healed people? He's up on a mountain 
by himself in isolation, praying to his father. I heard one minister say one time, we talk, we spend very little time with God and spend a lot of time with our problems. But Jesus spent a lot of time with God and spent very little time with problems. When we've got that equation backwards, we're gonna spend a lot of time with our problems and with a lot of time trying to figure this out and a lot of time trying to overcome this and a lot of time trying to beat this and a lot of time with this problem, with this struggle, with this issue, when you ought to be spending that time with God, working on our relationship, communing with him, spending time with him, being in his word. And as a result, the problems will be no match. Now, Jesus is at the greatest struggle of his life at the end of his ministry. This is a crossroads. In fact, before Jesus ever took up his cross physically, he had to take up his cross spiritually. This is where Jesus took up his cross. This is where Jesus defeated the enemy. This This scene right here, and what's so interesting to me is that Adam and Eve lost the battle in a garden and Jesus won the battle in a garden. (laughs) We all have gardens. We all have gardens where you are being confronted with his will or my will, his plan or my plan, his way or my way. We all have gardens. And so Jesus is going back to the garden to take back what was lost. And so uh, continues on, verse 42. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. How do you win the war against yourself, you say, his will, not mine. Now, this is not what Jesus tried to do. Jesus did not try to get his flesh in line. Jesus did not try to get his flesh to align with the will of God. That is a futile attempt to win. You'll lose every time. But Paul said it this way, I crucify my flesh. What's the answer? If you can't convince it, you've got to kill it. You kill it. You kill it. You put it on a cross. You literally put your flesh, your desires, not your literal flesh, not your body. Don't go out, don't, don't. I don't want to read about you in the paper tomorrow. Oh, my pastor said, take up your cross. No, we're talking about your desires. You don't have to take up a natural fleshly cross because he did it once and for all. But now he still gave the command to his disciples, whichever one of you takes up your cross and follows me, that's my disciple. So I've got a nail my desires to the cross. Got to nail my will to the cross. Got to nail my agenda 
to the cross. My plans, my ways. That's how you win. That's how you win. You gotta say, not my will, but your will. It's this battle, it's this war that's being waged between the spirit and between the flesh. And whichever one I feed gets stronger. Whichever one I invest in more gets stronger. Guys, we can no longer be surprised when we give in to temptation, but it's all that we fed. Sin doesn't happen in on the outside. You have to win the battle on the inside if you ever want to fight the battle on the outside. Come on. You've nurtured that thing. You've fed that thing. You've looked at stuff, listened to stuff, been around people. I mean, you have taken care of that thing on the inside before you ever executed it on the outside. Before you ever carried it out in the flesh. Remember, I was counseling an individual, and, and they said, "Well, man, I, you know, I just, I just had fifteen minutes of, uh, fifteen minutes of failure." I said, "No, you didn't. You had days, and weeks, and months, and maybe even years of feeding that thing, and then you gave birth to it, and then you said, "Oh, man, look what happened." No, you took care of that thing. You nurtured that thing. You kept feeding it, and that is when it came out. And it wasn't the devil. He's the tempter. He'll bring you the opportunity and he'll never, he'll never be short of opportunities for you to fail. And the devil, he'll spend all this time before talking you into it. Oh man, come on. You can do it. No one will notice. No one will see. It's not that bad. And then the second you do it, he's right there in your face. Look at you. Loser. You idiot. You're never gonna fix this. Never gonna... What? What? That's not what you were just saying yesterday. You're making me feel all good about myself. Then I carry out what you're telling me to do, and you're the first one in my face telling me how horrible person I am. Because he's the condemner of the brethren. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn. He comes to convict. He says, man, you're better than this. And you got this. You don't have to lose anymore. But you got to feed your spirit. You got to get strong. The spirit is willing. The spirit's always willing. Your spirit always wants to do what God says. Your spirit always wants to respond to the word of God, but you have to feed it. Some of us, are, are, our spirit man is so weak that his voice has even been drowned out. The voice of the spirit on the inside is called your conscience. It's called uh, 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 the, the, the one that is speaking in line with the father. Hey, don't, I mean, he's throwing up red flags. Hey, don't go here. Turn around. Don't do this. We just blow right on past them. Bridge out. And then we wonder why we fell off the bridge. <laughs> and all the signs were there leading up to it. No, the spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. The flesh will give in. So, I'm struggling but I'm winning. I don't know about you. I'm going to win. I'm here to win. Now he's already overcome. I mean, I could talk to you about how sin is no match for you. 
Can you live a sinless life? Absolutely. God wouldn't tell me to, to be holy as he's holy, to pursue righteousness, to cast off unrighteousness. He even tells us in Romans that sin no longer has dominion over you. So those verses wouldn't be there and he wouldn't tell you to do something that you couldn't do. What kind of God is that? What kind of Lord is that? No, it's absolutely possible to overcome sin, that sin will never be a problem for you. You can respond to the word of God and you can respond to the will of God and to the plan of God for your life. You can win, you can overcome. There's victory for you. He's already overcome the world. Be of good cheer, he said. I've already overcome. That stuff can't mess you up. You gotta take care of the stuff in here. You don't fight flesh and blood. This battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's on the inside. And some of us are blaming the devil for stuff that it's us. We're blaming other people when it's us. So let's put down the flesh, kill the flesh, crucify those desires, crucify those wills and say, God, I just wanna know you so I can follow out your plan. I can fulfill your purpose and I don't have to yield to what the enemy wants. I can yield to what you want. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.